1: And welcome back to the Selling from the Heart podcast, your co-host, Daryl Amy, here today with Larry Levine. What's going on, Larry? <laughs> <laughs> what you come
0: on. It, I'm, st- I'm still in mourning, Daryl. I, I got over it. It took me all of about 24 hours to get over the Dodgers losing again, back-to-back World Series. So I'm on to football season, but I, I really, I can't wait for baseball season to start again.
1: Hey, look, I, I got to say I'm proud of you. You have demonstrated one of the key traits of emotional intelligence in sales, which is resilience, <laughs> bounce back. Uh, I saw you yesterday. It, w- it was a little rough, uh, you know, it was a little rough, but, but we got Larry back. He's back in the game and uh, showing, the, showing the resilience. By the way, thank you, everyone, for the feedback from last week's conversation about how to apply emotionally intelligent leadership principles to grow sales. Lots of interesting conversation around that. And uh, for, and also for those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome. You've joined a growing community of sales professionals that are dedicated to being genuine, being authentic, doing the hard work. We call it Selling from the Heart. And Larry, we've got a phenomenal guest today that I think uh, the Selling from the Heart tribe is absolutely going to love.
0: Yeah, and, and only because... Lee and I love talking baseball and we, we can't make this whole podcast about baseball because we won't get to the core essence of what the podcast is. But I, you know, the guests that we've been having on the podcast really stem from, from a couple things. And I say, you know, when you do social correctly, it returns really great favors and it's helped me meet some of the most coolest people. And, um, I met Lee through, uh, Another one of my favorites, Jeb Blunt, and and uh, and so forth. And without further ado, I have to just I welcome Lee Sauls, the author of the new book Sales Differentiation to the Selling from the Heart podcast. Welcome, Lee.
2: Thanks so much for having me. Hey, Larry, I've, I've got an idea for you guys for your sequel, <laughs> your, your your next book. You ready? All right, okay. bring it. It's How to Play Baseball Without Heart: The Manny Machado Story. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! So, uh,
0: on that, on that note, we we always ask our guests, you know, the same question because I think it, it ties into you know what Daryl and I are all about. So, Lee, tell us what's it mean to you to sell from the heart?
2: Well, it, it, you mentioned my my new book, Sales Differentiation, and a core premise in that book is the idea that people don't know how to buy what you sell. One of my favorite questions to ask salespeople is, who knows more about the world of potential solutions in your industry? You are the people you sell to. And Mm -hmm. I've never had a single salesperson say, oh, the people I sell to know much more than I do about my industry. Every salesperson acknowledges that they have a broader level of expertise in their industry than the people they sell to, and to me, that presents both an obligation and an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And when I say an obligation, I believe if you've decided that sales is gonna be your profession, and in this theme of selling from the heart, that you have this obligation to help people make an informed buying decision. In other words, back to what I said a moment ago, they don't know how to buy what you sell. I, I was mentioned to the guys earlier, Last week, I was with a sales group. I do this all the time. I said, raise your hand if you can tell me the difference between an organic apple and a regular apple. (laughs) As is usual, when I ask the question, about 10% of the people in the room raise their hand. So this is an item we buy every single week, and we don't even know how to make an informed buying decision on an apple. They certainly don't know how to buy your stuff. So we talk about selling from the heart. It's being genuine and helping someone make that informed buying decision based on their needs, what they're trying to accomplish. And if you do it well, it gives you this opportunity to shape buyer decision criteria because we don't know how to buy what you sell. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. you know, so- it, it, and, and it's interesting for, for, I mean, a spin on that is not only can they make, you know, sometimes they may not make that informed buying decision because it's up to us to help them. But what makes you any different than the other person who's trying to sell the same thing?
2: Exactly. Exactly right. You know, there's this, always been this conversation, not always, but particularly the last 10, 15 years since this new fad has come along called the internet. <laughs> and all this research you hear about that buyers are doing online, yes, they're, they're doing this research, but they're still, again, I've never had a salesperson say that the people I sell to know as much or more than I do about the world of potential solutions in, in the industry. And so we have this disconnect where we're saying people doing all this research online, but on the other side, we're saying they still don't know how to buy our stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and,
1: and I think that, uh, you know, something you said when it comes to, to helping shape all of that is, is obviously part of recommending the right solution is, is asking questions about what the buyer actually wants to accomplish. And, you know, that's something that as much as, as someone might be able to research something on the internet, that dialogue with, with a true professional that can ask the right questions, that can discover um, what you're trying to accomplish and, and then make the bridge to uh, a solution to, to that problem or a way to achieve the goals that's, uh, that's the X factor that, uh, that really sets a sales rep
2: apart, right? Yeah. I mean, to me, when, it, when I look at the most critical skill for a salesperson to possess, it's the ability to ask thoughtful, insightful questions mm-hmm. that help people think differently about the solution they have or could have. See, people outside of the sales profession, if you're a good talker, they say, oh, you should be in sales. And we all know Talking is not what leads people to buy. Right. People within the profession, like sales managers, they say listening skills. That's absolutely critical, number one on the list. But if you're not asking the right questions, there's nothing to listen to. Right. <laughs> it's, right? It's, very good point. Yeah. And it, you and know, it, so the, the other part of it is I, I said that people don't know how to buy what you sell, but lecturing them is not going to get you anywhere. You're not going to walk into a CEO's office and say, let me tell you all the things wrong with your business and walk away with the account. Just not going to happen. Right.
0: But I think, but I think it goes, you know, I would say, it's great to ask really good questions, but how many salespeople out there will ask questions that extract enough information about them? Because I think what happens is most people and I've seen it, we've all seen it is they ask a few self-centered questions. They get a few responses they can latch onto and run with, as opposed to really peeling this back and asking questions to get them speaking about them and what's important to them.
2: Well, in my mind, there's there's three types of questions, and salespeople think of two types. Questions that help qualify the opportunity and questions that expose pain or challenges. Mm -hmm. So in other words, they ask questions that you perceive could be better or different. But if you agree with my premise that we know more about the world of potential solutions in our industry than the people we sell to, we can't rely on their perception. To me, the the most effective questions we can ask are the ones that help someone see, hey, I could have a better solution. I never even knew it was out there. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. I, I have a client here in Minnesota and Minnesota is kind of an odd state. We're one of the few States where every homeowner and every business contracts for their own trash removal. Huh. <laughs> so Wednesday mornings, there is a parade of garbage trucks coming down my street, representing all the different haulers.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, you can kind of see the visual of this, right? Oh my gosh. What a mess. Right. And each one seemingly doing the same thing, pulls up to the home arm, extends from the truck, uh-huh. lifts the can up, dumps it in the truck, puts it back down, truck drives away and you get an invoice at the end of the month. Well, the CEO of one of these companies reached out to me and said, you know what? I believe we offer meaningful value more so than the competition. So we should be able to win deals at the prices that we want. And so they went through a program with me and we discovered they actually really did have some meaningful differentiators. And one was this truck called a can be clean truck. Only one's that offer this in the state of Minnesota twice a year follows the garbage truck and cleans your garbage cans. Okay. Only ones that offer that. And so for their residential salespeople, we developed what I call a positioning question. It's an open-ended question maps back to a differentiator that we possess designed to help someone think differently about the solution they have or could have. And the question was this, and it was asked right after they introduced themselves to a homeowner. When's the last time you had your garbage cans cleaned? Because we know they never have unless they did it themselves. Right. And if, you, and if you ever cleaned your garbage cans, you know what a miserable experience that is. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Right. So right away, someone's thinking differently about something as simple as trash. Yeah, why isn't someone cleaning my garbage cans? Mm. But, but if I relied on pain questions and I said something like, what are three things you'd like to have but don't have today? No one would say, "Boy, it'd be great if someone cleaned my garbage cans because you don't even know it exists. They're the only ones that offer it."-hmm
0: You know, it, that's a great story, Lee, because <laughs> and I was uh, I was never afraid to ask some really off-the- wall questions, and Daryl seen me in sales calls in my previous life. But what, what was interesting and a, and a direct spinoff of what you were just saying, of, and, and this goes back to how you know you can blend this whole selling from the heart and sales differentiation. You know, and combine them because I always used to ask people, what is it that you would like to see? And this was simple questions, Lee, but I played off of it all the time because they've all experienced this. What would you like to see or what would you like to get from a salesperson that you're currently not getting right now?
2: Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, listen, it's a great question.
0: Right. And just listen. And then I would always then say, come back and say, well, I can guarantee you've probably experienced this, this, and this, right? Which is broken promises, a bunch of junk, right? A bunch of stuff coming out of their mouth just to sell you something. Well, this is what you get with me. And again, it's that different level of experience that, that I think ties this all together. And I, and I love that story. I, I, w- I, wish, I wish somebody would clean my garbage
2: can. <laughs> right? And that's worked tremendously well for them. And Because I, I find so often when I talk to sales teams and executive teams, they're so passionate about what they would call their differentiated value, right? but they're ineffective in helping someone on the other side of the desk become as passionate as they are. They like, boy, we, we've got these wonderful differentiators here, but the world doesn't get it. They don't see it. And right. they also don't necessarily recognize that it's on them to figure out how to develop that passion.
1: Right. Oh, that's powerful. You know, uh, obviously, and, and for those of you listening, if you haven't got a copy of sales differentiation, Lee Salls' book yet, you definitely need to get that. Uh, you're really going to enjoy this, the strategies in that book, but I'm curiously, what are, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see salespeople making when it comes to differentiating themselves?
2: Well, one is they wait until price becomes the issue all of a sudden someone says, oh, hey, your price is too high. Oh, well, let me tell you why we're different. Hmm. Yeah. Too late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, once that's over, I mean, you're just done, right? It's, they say your price is too high and they're not hearing anything you have to say. Right. Because now you're on the defensive. Yeah, it's no good. We've all been yeah. there. So, So that's certainly a big one. Another one is tossing out differentiators and leaving it to me to figure out what it means. I had one client that went through the sales differentiation program, and I said, share with me a a differentiator that that you talk about. This company's been around about 40 years. Mm -hmm. He said, we're privately held. I said, that's terrific. Tell me why that matters to a buyer. (laughs) Not a person in the room could answer the question. Oh. I said, wait a minute, hang on. You're telling me for 40 years, you've been touting that you're privately held. right. Right, expecting it to be meaningful to a buyer and you can't even tell me why it matters. Mm. And then they start talking amongst themselves, saying, yeah, we got to stop talking about that. I said, well, hang on a second. I said, how many of you have worked for a publicly traded company and half of them had? Mm -hmm. I said, in a publicly traded company, what's the A number one priority? What what would you say that is? A number one priority in a publicly traded company? uh, Return to shareholders, yeah. Yeah, the numbers, right? Right. So if you're the head of customer service and you say, boy, I need 10 more people to handle the call volume than what I've been budgeted for, yeah, good luck getting it because it's going to distort the numbers. But what about in a privately held company? What's the A number one priority? The clients, right? Absolutely. Reputation, clients. Yeah, and I said, isn't there a story there? And there was, and we spent time putting that together. But when you just toss out differentiators like that and expect someone to figure out what it means. One of two things will happen: they either never figure it out, or they give it a context that's not going to help you get the sale. Right. Yeah, it goes back to
1: your organic apple, and <laughs> I've got to say, I, you know, I, 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 think if I really thought hard, I could probably figure out why I should pay you know fifty cents a pound more for that organic apple. But, but the, but by unless I'm just dead set on, on buying organic, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go right. for a cheap option. And I think that happens every single day um, in the sales profession.
0: Yeah, because I Absolutely. think I, I think there's so much misalignment, in, in, in I, and I personally see it as well, is what we think is value and what we think our differentiators are, mm-hmm. are zero differentiators and of zero value to our clients and our prospects, unless we sit down and we truly ask them.
2: Yeah, well, that's certainly an important point. The other part is recognizing that not all differentiators matter to everyone or in all circumstances. Right. You know, I, I, I get people going with this. I'll ask the groups, how many of you have an elevator pitch? Hmm. And they'll all raise their hand. I said, well, that's the best practice, isn't it? Well, I'm here to tell you that's a huge mistake. And if you have an elevator pitch, you need to stop it. <laughs> and they look at me funny and I let the room get uncomfortable and say, my issue is not the concept of an elevator pitch. It's the word and in front of it. Yes. Exactly. Thinking of it in the singular sense. Right. Right. An elevator pitch. Uh, here, I'll give you an example. Imagine we sell copiers for a living. And today's a very exciting day for us because our R and D team for the last few years has been working on this, this new copier and it's the first one that prints 50 shades of gray. <laughs> Very exciting time. And, and tomorrow we have a meeting with a CFO to talk about this new copier. How many of you would be talking about the 50 shades of gray with, with the CFO? I love asking that question. And I, and I always tell the groups, I'll say, I hope not for so many reasons. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Most importantly, that CFOs don't care about colors, shades, and hues, but they do care about the economic impact. But if that afternoon you had a meeting with the head of marketing, that's a great conversation to have with that person because they don't necessarily care about the financial impact, but they do care about the colors, the shades, and the hues. And then the next morning when you're meeting with the IT manager, doesn't care about the economic impact doesn't care about color shades and hues but does care about security integration reliability maintenance three completely different conversations but what we're selling is the same absolutely hey by the hey by the way lee you have me fascinated i i do you want to
0: sell copiers <laughs> Larry could probably he got one. Uh, is it print oh Fifty my Shades god. of Grey? Oh I mean, I'm just like going, oh my god! The, the now, now you're going to go down the copier path because you know it happens to be that that sales channel that I came out of. But it's like, oh my god! You're bringing back horror stories, Lee.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think am, you, am I giving you daymares? Because you know you're awake, yeah. so it can't be a nightmare. <laughs>
1: that's really strong. And obviously, you know, our, our uh, good friends at the corporate executive board tell us what 6.8 average uh, people on a, a B2B buying team right now. And, and, you know, And that's up a that yeah. couple of years ago was 5.4. Well, people are nervous about making a, a bad buying decision, right? So there's security in a, in a team and, and each member of that team brings different different uh different goals to the table. And you know, it it, it kind of brings up a, an interesting question in terms of when you're when you look at, at somebody who is in a, a sales situation where there's a buying team involved, which is virtually any B2B environment nowadays, um, and and you're thinking about the concept of differentiation when you're selling to a buying team. What, what advice do you give to sales reps that need to
2: differentiate themselves in front of teams? Before you even get to, to that point, we all recognize that there's a certain set of what I call decision influencers. So when you talk about that team, each person yep. on that team would be someone I consider a decision influencer. Right. I believe, again, in keeping with the selling from the heart theme, that we have an obligation to develop a mastery of them. If you Mm -hmm. sell to CFOs and VPs of marketing, presidents, uh, whatever those titles might be, heads of operations, that you have an obligation to understand them as people. So there's an Mm -hmm. exercise that I suggest that salespeople go through where we forget about what we're selling. The question is entirely about the people we sell to. And if you think of each decision influencer, we'll take a CFO, for example. As this CFO lies in bed at night thinking about their role and responsibilities, mm-hmm. what's keeping them awake? What's concerning them? What are their priorities right now? And then after you make that laundry list, then considering everything that's keeping them awake, what are the ones that we can help them address and how? Mm-hmm. And if you do that prep work today, that's something you refresh it every. Three to six months, go back, see if there's any new trends or new things that are affecting them. But you develop mastery of your decision influencers so that you can become that chameleon in that meeting. So you engage each person based on what's most important to them. hmm Outstanding. Yeah,
0: and yeah, you know where where they can even, and I and I always say you're and and I tell us the sales teams all the time, Lee is to me, I think the best training, the best source of help out there that can help salespeople with this are their current clients. For one simple reason is inside everyone's client base are the same sets of people that they're going to be selling to in a net new situation. So why not put yourself in a one of your current clients, right? Fill in the blank with a company name Their CFO, their IT manager, their facilities, their accounting department, their marketing department, and ask them some of these questions. Because I can almost guarantee you this, those similar issues, those similar things that they're working on are going to pretty much maybe be similar things that new, you know, opportunities arise that
2: they might be thinking about. Exactly. I mean, look, salespeople don't even know who their real competition is. they're, They're clueless. Right, I ask them who their biggest competitors are and they'll rattle off three different companies and I'll say, well, yeah, they're pretty good, uh, but there's one that's even tougher. And then someone in the room will say, ah, you mean the old status quo, the choice to do nothing. Also a formidable competitor, but there's one even tougher and I've never had a salesperson recognize that this is their toughest competitor because we're egocentric. We think that our competition is only the ones that offer something similar to what we are selling. Mm -hmm. Not thinking of it from the perspective of the person that we're calling on. So let's say you sell to CFOs. It's not just the people from your industry that are calling that CFO. It's everything that falls under a CFO purview that falls under there. So your competition is every salesperson that is calling the same person you are trying to get a meeting Mm -hmm. because I'm yet to see a job description where someone's sole job is meet with a salesperson every hour on the hour. Right. Right. No one has ever had that job. (laughs) (laughs) So we're, so we're competing for FaceTime and I don't mean the Apple technology. I mean, our ability to get a meeting because the math is very simple. If you can't get a meeting, there's no proposal. There's no forecast. There's no deal. There's no commission check. It all starts with, can you get the meeting? And as soon as you recognize that there is creativity that's needed in how you're going to engage someone be different than all the other salespeople that are calling on that individual. So you're the one that gets that meeting instead of them. That's strong. yeah,
0: And and is because this is why I'm so sensitive and I'm so critical on the front end of what we're all talking about. And that's the selling from the heart. The sales differentiation is if you screw up the very beginning of this then nothing else matters. Correct. You're not going to get that meeting. You're not going to be able to do that proposal. You're not going to be able to share this is why you should do business with me. And that's why we got to correctly position ourselves and open up those genuine, heartfelt questions about, you know, conversations about them. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, then what? Then what we faced with? Okay. As we, as we wrap up,
1: I want to throw one, one last uh, topic or question out there. And, and it, because I know this is something that haunts the nightmares of every sales professional. And that's the RFP, the bid (laughs) request for proposal. You know, there's nothing that strikes more fear and annoyance into the heart of a sales, sales rep than an RFP. How can you use sales differentiation when you're faced with the dreaded RFP?
2: Well, so the key is to find out up front if they're going to be buying in that fashion, if they're going to go through a formal buying process using an RFP instrument. Mm -hmm. Again, back to what we opened with. People don't know how to buy what you sell. Mm -hmm. They don't know what questions to put in that RFP. So one of my suggestions, I do this with clients all the time, is write an RFP for what you sell as if you were the buyer. And put this beautiful cosmetic document ready to put on the street, asking all the key questions that would help someone make an informed buying decision. Put it in this document. And then when someone says, uh, yeah, we're going to go through an RFP exercise for this, rather than say, okay, send me a copy. You say, have you written it yet? Uh, No. Have you ever written an RFP for this product service technology? Uh, No, we haven't. Well, we have a tool here that our clients find very helpful. We've actually drafted an RFP template that helps you capture all the key information you need to begin the evaluation process. Would you like me to share that with you? (laughs) And so here's what happens. Number one, you're the only one that's offering it. You demonstrate that you care. You're helping them make an informed buying decision. Right, you show expertise in your in your industry, mm-hmm. and here's the punchline: if they don't use it at all, you still get all those differentiated benefits. The other suppliers didn't offer that. Right. I've had I've had clients, kid you not, take the document exactly as I provided it. Didn't even go into the footer where it says, insert your company name here. Didn't even make that change. (laughs) Right. Just put it on the street. (laughs) I've had others pull questions from it. I've had others not use it at all. But I got all of those differentiation benefits in the way that I sold based on just offering it. Brilliant.
1: Oh, that's good. Well, that is so good. That, that, That one, that's brilliant. I absolutely love it. And Lee, thank you so much for sharing time today. This has been a fantastic conversation. And I know that uh, anyone listening to this is going to want to jump right off this podcast and get a copy of Sales Differentiation, where you'll find 19, 19 powerful strategies to win more deals. So, Lee, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and also just taking the time to, to, it's a lot of work to write a book, right, Larry? um <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for taking the time to put that all down on paper yeah Guys, it it this has been a blast it's been a blast well fantastic and thank you to everyone for for joining us this week at the end of every podcast we always have a a, a call to action a little bit of homework we don't want you to just take this and uh, then go on with your day so um i want everybody to 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 take what lee said and run with it in other words what are the things that differentiate you? And, uh, you know, what does that mean to the client? And maybe if you want to, to take it to the next level, take that down to each of the different types of influencers you work with. Where, where are your points of differentiation and what specifically does that mean to them? Obviously, if you want to take a deeper dive on that, grab Lee's book, and I think you're going to go down a, a journey that is, is going to be extremely valuable to you and your sales career. So thank you, everybody, for joining us this week. Till next week, keep being genuine, keep being authentic, keep doing the hard work, find ways to differentiate yourselves, and most of all, sell from the heart.